are we good? Maybe. Okay, we're good. Okay, so, um, all right, we're going to get to those discussion questions here in a second. Um, and for those of you that just came in, um, we are going to talk about all kinds of things tonight. But um, before we get started um, on those dis- on those table talk questions, um, I want to say a couple of things first. So, um, like I said, if you are new to Midweek in the City, then the point back there on that sign, it says, ask new, think, no. Ask questions, think new, fear not, right? So the point is that we can bring our questions that we don't always feel like we can bring to church. Um, we can bring them here, and we unpack those things here, okay? Um, so this is a place that we can do that in safety and do that knowing that um, we care for one another. And also, this is for single adults. And so we don't talk about things around single adults every single week, but it is good that we do that occasionally. Okay, so um, this is one of those weeks. Um And so tonight we're talking about singleness, and we're going to try to dispel some of the myths that we've heard or some of the unhelpful things that we've heard around singleness. Um, And you've been, if you've been single for like any amount of time, you've probably heard some unhelpful or even hurtful things about that state of being, right? Um, Because whether it's a season or um, your entire life, right? There's still unhelpful things that we've heard about that. So we're going to unpack that. But I do need to say a couple things first, okay? It's important for us to talk about singleness because that's the, A, that's the point of the single adults ministry. We minister to single adults, right? Go figure. Um, and that means we have discussions about what it means to be a person who is single and who is faithful to Jesus, right? But I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it, um, and I especially want to say tonight that the fact that you are single is neither the most important nor the most interesting thing about you, okay? And I say all that to say um, that's not meant to minimize your experience as someone who's single, but it is meant to encourage you that when you've heard unhelpful things about being single, um, I want you to hear tonight that the fact that you're single is just one of many wonderful parts about you, okay? And there's a lot of things about you and your contributions to the world that are far more important than your relationship status and far more interesting than whether or not you're single, okay? I just want you to know that. That doesn't mean it's unimportant. It just means you are a whole person outside of your relationship status, okay? And so I know that um, the world doesn't say that very well, so I just want you all to know that um, and hear that before we dive into all of these things. Um, And also... We're just going to get this out at the beginning. I am up here guiding this conversation for us about singleness, and I am not single, okay? So as we go through this, um, there might be times when you'd be tempted to say, well, it's easy for you to say you're married, right? And that's okay. That's, that's true, right? I, I want to acknowledge that from the beginning, that there might be things that you say, well, you know, I'm going to roll my eyes at that because that's how can you know that, right, as a married person saying that? And that's okay. Um, I want to say as much as I can with humility here, Um, and I can't speak to all of these things, but I know for sure that in the body of Christ, we're called to one another. So married people in the church need to be invested in the health of your singleness, and single people in the church need to be invested in the health of marriages in the church, right? We're bound to one another in that way. And so, yes, I'm leading a discussion about this, and I'm not single, but your health is important to me for multiple reasons, primarily that we're in the body of Christ together, right? So if I fumble through things, that's how it's going to be. But um, just like 
the opposite goes, right? The marriages of this church are important to you because you're in this body of Christ with those people, right? And so just, you know, give me a little grace every now and then. Um, if I say something unhelpful, feel free to tell me, okay? Um, so with that being said, um, let's turn back to those discussion questions. So what came up for y'all? What are some myths or some things that y'all have heard that have been unhelpful or even hurtful around being single? And I'm going to write these down to make sure we at least try to address these, okay? Because they might kind of have to do with what I thought of before this. But what are some things that y'all said as you were answering that question? Oh, and there's a mic that is in front of David. And because we turned this into a podcast, um, it's really awkward when I start talking on the mic, but they don't know why I'm talking about what I'm saying because they didn't hear your question in the audience. Your voice is not going to be amplified, but it's so that we hear you on the podcast. If you don't want to be on the podcast and this question is uncomfortable to you, then just say, I don't want the mic. Okay, so um, what were some answers to that first question? I will win. Yeah. Oh, pass the mic back there. <laughs> I was working. Yeah. In a dental office, mm -hmm. cleaning somebody's teeth. The patient was a psychotherapist and had just gotten married and was just, you know, just saying, you know, it really helped, you know. Like, but then he started telling me that if I didn't get married, I, would, I was selfish. I'm really sorry you were, you what? You've done that before too, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, so if you don't get married, you're selfish. Because I think that was kind of uh, something that he had worked through. Okay. And I, I don't know. It was just a very odd conversation. And You're like, I'm just trying to work, man. Also, that's, that's a vulnerable place for him to be, to well, say well, something like that. That's what I thought. I thought, that's, you know. That's weird. He, he, you know, he didn't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes. I, I, I do have sharp instruments in my yeah. hand, and we don't even know each other. Somebody needs a root canal right now. Yeah. That's wild. I'm so sorry that he said that to you. That's awful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, I just, you know, at work, um, there's kind of an um, impression that, well, you're free, you've got so much free time, and your, your time outside of work, you don't have really as much as important things to do as yeah. other people that are raising kids and have obligations, and you're kind mm -hmm. of, you have a, uh, it's like, not, it's kind of long selfish, it's like, uh, you're not, bearing as much responsibility and you're more well anything anything you do that involves something outside of work give it to that guy because you yeah. really, his time is not as valuable as other people's time how dare you have hobbies and yeah, yeah right and or in general right and that's what one of the ways the church has failed is assuming that y'all are just constantly available to like babysit for married couples or something like that too right yeah that's that's an annoying thing to hear over and over yeah what else Mm. Surely you have time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And that's what that doesn't mean that there's not like things you need to work out when it comes to dating or relationships, right? But that's also we can't say, well, you're just being too picky, right? Lower your standards, then you'll find somebody, right? That's a ridiculous thing. But yeah, that's good. Yeah. What else? Anything else y'all have heard? Oh, yeah, God's timing is perfect. So, yeah, which, sure, yes, we know that God's timing is good, but that doesn't make it better, right? That doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they feel like they have to say something, right? Yeah. And there's all kinds of life scenarios where they're like, (laughs) you want to say something, but you don't know what to say, so you say something totally unhelpful, right? We do that at funerals sometimes, right? We do that. Anything that you feel awkward all of a sudden, we'll talk about that in a second, why singleness brings that out in people, which is ridiculous, but yeah. Anything else? Oh, Josiah, here, Scott. Yeah, I guess I'm a little perplexed because I'm hearing some people answer to the first question. I don't like it when people assume I have all this free time, but I'm also hearing people say to the second question, I don't, I love that there aren't so many demands on my time and attention. Sure. It seems like maybe they do have the free time. I, I'm just, sure. I don't know. I mean, neither of these are universal, obviously. Yeah. But well, because I think weird both can be true, right? You sure. you don't just have all this free floating time. However, there's not people that are constantly monopolizing that quote unquote free it's time. It's about the assuming, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> if you're single, you're, you're choosing your time just as a married person would choose their time to be with themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah that is, you know, a married person, <clears throat> they kind of have prior obligations. Like, you know, they may have children involved. They may have that significant other that may or may not require more attention. And versus a single person, we're kind of more freely delegating our free time to be used how we want it without right. having to yeah. answer somebody. Right, but there was a choice well and that's what y'all have all the same like responsibilities of keeping yourself <laughs> alive and making money right and doing all these things that um that as a single person it can feel like you're probably well, i would assume it feels like there's a lot of plates spinning in the air that you're trying to keep up right so yes your time looks different and you may or may not have quote unquote more free time but you also are carrying more things for yourself, right? So um, I, I get that because it does feel like we're saying the same thing, but I, there's some nuance there. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we, all have, we all have the same amount. Of, everyone's given the same amount of time. There's sure. Not, you know, it's, uh, no one has more time than anybody else. It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's a decision. Yeah. It's really what you're saying is uh, everyone has a decision on what they want to do with their time. Yeah. And, and there is an inherent bias that um, my time is more valuable because I have kids or, or, or family. And you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything, anything else before we jump into a few? These, these are a little bit like bigger things. But anything else they all came up with? 
Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Anything else? Um, so we'll touch on several of these. Um, and I hope that you haven't heard um, a lot of these things. Some of these things that I was thinking through um, are a little more implicit. Someone wouldn't come up and say that, um, you know, if you're single, then I don't really know where your place is in the church, right? They're not going to explicitly say some of these things, but there is an undercurrent that communicates some of these ideas sometimes, right? Or sometimes they would say that, right? Um, oh, sorry. I skipped that one. What do you enjoy about being single? Is there something that that contributes to your life that freedom? <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> yes. We were just talking about the whole bed. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Right. That is, we were talking about making choices, right? That's, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Erica's like, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, very, y'all are so funny. Um, so, we're going to unpack a few of those, um, but I, there's a few that I want to address, and I'm going to ask you all things as we go through this. Um, we won't be able to unpack, like, half of this, because there's all kinds of things that, as I was reading, as I was looking things up, that it was like, this is kind of this belief in Christian culture about singleness. And there was all these things that I guess this group is so good at saying, bah humbug, and kind of batting those things away that I forgot how abrasive the church has been to folks that are single. Um, and so one of the books that I just kind of stumbled across um, is by Sam Alberry. It says, Seven Myths About Singleness, and he just kind of dispels these things. And so I read this and a few other articles that were really helpful, but if y'all want this book, feel free to take it. Um, but So there's a few that I want to unpack. Okay, so there might be an undercurrent that they wouldn't say this explicitly, but if you're single, that means you're in some way you're, you're lacking something or in some way that you, you don't have everything you need, right? Because singleness generally in the church isn't, now throughout church history is a different thing, but right now it feels like the dominant view about singleness in the church is that it's not, it's not great, right? Um, there's books on marriage, and marriage is assumed to be this good thing that we just need to understand better. But books on singleness are just sort of like, yeah, it stinks, but here's some like thing that you can pull out of it that's good, or here's how to not be single anymore, right? And that's those are the books on singleness, and that's what this book is not. It's a lot better, and it's saying, no, you have a really rich, fulfilling life, really. Um, and it's written by a single uh, pastor. Um and there's a quote that I came across that says, churches have unconsciously bought into the belief that being single is being miserable. They might pat singles' heads and say, it's okay, but they don't really believe it. Okay, have y'all ever felt that way? Okay. Um, and so the way that we describe singleness reflects this. Okay, it's almost always defined in the negative, like the absence of something, right? The state of not being married, the state of the absence of a significant other, right? And so we, when we define it in those negative terms, it reinforces this idea that there is nothing intrinsically good about singleness, right? Does that kind of make sense? If that's how we're starting to define our terms, then we kind of assume then there's nothing good about it. 
And that's why I asked, what is something that you enjoy about singleness? And I know that we could say, you know, we could roll our eyes at that. But you have a rich, fulfilling life, regardless of your relationship status. And there are some things that specifically as a single person that you can do and that you can enjoy that are specific to that way of life, that are specific to being single, right? And we've talked about before, when someone asks you, are you married? Like a, an acquaintance or someone that you're meeting for this time, and you say no, does the conversation kind of like grind to a halt? Have you ever experienced that? You're like, no. And then they say, oh, okay. And they just, they don't know what to say next, right? We were talking about, um, yeah, people, people don't know how to answer that, right? As the author of this book called it um, like a conversational cul-de-sac. You're just like, whoa, man, that's, this road is going no farther. Okay, right? <laughs> I know, I really enjoy that, too. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. And, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but obviously, we know singleness isn't a bad thing. In the Bible, it's a good thing, right? Um, we see that throughout Scripture. It's a state of being that should be affirmed and be celebrated. Because um, single people aren't anomalies in God's created order. Right? God didn't say, oh, I forgot to finish the task with this one. Right? Single people convey an aspect of the gospel in a unique way, just like married couples do. Okay? It's just a unique aspect of the gospel, and we'll unpack that a little bit. Um, but the fact that the church, and when I say that, not just FBCSA. FBCSA is at least trying their darndest to not fall into these things. Right? And I think the fact that this group exists speaks to that a little bit, but in general, the church, we approach singleness like it's a bad thing, and we've misunderstood it. When we, when we approach singleness like it's something bad that we need to avoid, we've misunderstood singleness, and we've misunderstood marriage, right? Because we've idolized marriage and made it something it wasn't supposed to be, and, and we'll continue to unpack that in a second. But when we have a bad view of singleness, that kind of speaks to, we might have a warped view of marriage too, right? Um, because singleness has become only for the few, right? Because we have misunderstood that we assume that marriage should be the default, right? We assume that marriage is for most people and for the rest then I guess there's singleness, right? That's kind of the, the view that we walk around with that we would never say, right? Um, but realistically, not everyone should get married. <laughs> I don't know that marriage needs to be the default that we've made it into, right? And just because you're currently single doesn't mean that you shouldn't get married. But there's lots of people walking around that are married that shouldn't be, right? We've all seen that. We have family members that are like that, right? Um, and part of the issue of being, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's what we've bought into some cultural things there. Um, yeah. No, we'll, we'll make a caveat in a second, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, some distinctions need to be drawn. When you say we see, we've all seen people who we feel like, like, oh, yeah, that person shouldn't be married. Do we really mean that they shouldn't be married or just that they're married to the wrong person? Like, Probably and, both. I mean, or I, they're not I'm ready not to be married. Aren't, 
one who shouldn't be married at all. Obviously, I'm not saying 100 100 percent of people should be married, but I think it's perfectly reasonable and true to say that marriage, yeah, is the default. You know, right in Genesis, it's not good for the man to be alone. Sure. Right. Uh, I don't think that was ever uh, that was never overturned. Sure. Yeah. Two different things. We are not to be alone, that's true. Um, but that doesn't mean the default is marriage. Sure. I think a lot of people misinterpreted those passages about Paul, and we can get into the nitty-gritty of that we want. I'm just, yeah. I guess I'm just not convinced of what is the argument that, that marriage shouldn't be the default. Like well, I, sure. I right. get that it's not for everyone, and also another distinction to be yeah. drawn, there's a difference between saying singleness is bad and seeing, saying singleness is maybe less good. Like I'm not, I would never say singleness is a bad thing, but I'm, I don't have no problem saying marriage is better than singleness mm. for most people. Again, not everyone, yeah. but most people. I don't think I, we'll, we'll unpack some of those things, okay? Because we know that um, God doesn't just say, I'm going to give you something less good, right? And randomly dole that out, right? Um, and so we'll unpack a well, few of those things. Well, but that includes the assumption that everyone who's single is single is because God has somehow bestowed upon them singleness. Sure. That might not necessarily be the case. Right. Should always be the end game for the most people, but however, comma, I don't believe that people take a long enough time in the courtship when it comes to that, and they kind of just go, "Oh, I can only date for six months, and I'm supposed to propose by this deadline. I'm supposed to be married by this deadline. I'm supposed to have two to three kids by this deadline." I believe they go by what everyone else does instead of what their own timing is, yeah. because not every relationship's the same. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we know that, like, we have part of the vision in Genesis is that we multiply and fill the earth, right? And that happens through marriage. So I get, you know, as when we're talking about marriage as default, okay, that makes sense, right? But, yeah. But we have multiple people that we'll unpack in Scripture, like Paul, like Jesus, right, that different people that would say marriage is a good thing, but I would, I would argue that singleness is not a lesser form of being, right, and we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit, um, but that is just one myth that, um, that singleness is somehow a lack of something, or it's somehow wrong in some way, okay, now you can be single poorly, just like you can be married poorly, right, now, you know, that's a whole other can of worms, but, um, the state of being single is not a good or bad thing, right? And I think we've, we've, marriage is a beautiful thing. I'm married. It's cool. But we have elevated marriage beyond what I think it's meant to be, okay? We've made it an end rather than a means. And we're going to unpack that here in a little bit. Um, but we'll, um, yeah. Yes. In different ways. Well, sure. Well, yes. Okay. In different ways, we have misunderstood marriage. The, the world would um, devolve it into nothing. The church has mistakenly raised it up beyond what it was meant to be. Okay. Yeah. So we'll unpack that. Okay. Because this other thing is... The other myth that I've come across as I've been reading and those kind of things is that singleness 
is somehow too hard or unnatural because, like we we're saying, when we say singleness and we're in the context of the church, we're also talking about celibacy, right? Um, and I know this is a more sensitive one um, because not all of our identity as a single person or a married person has to do with sex, right? Of course not all of it does, but some of it does, right? We are sexual beings. And like I said, if you blush easily, just power through, okay? Um, and here's where we draw the line between the world and Christianity, right? Because in the world, singleness doesn't necessarily mean no sex, right? And this is where we've gotten to, we've devalued marriage in a worldly context, um, Singleness doesn't necessarily mean no sex. That's why a lot of people who aren't Christians are waiting longer to get married or not getting married at all because you can have a freer sex life or a non-monogamous sex life, right? And, and it looks totally different. In the church, though, for the most part, we would agree that sex is meant for the context of marriage, right? I think most of us would agree to that. Now, we can, like, wrestle with that, but that's where we tend to land, that sex is meant for the context of marriage. And so when we follow that train of thought, that being single then means to be celibate, whether it's for a season or a lifetime, whatever that looks like, abstaining from those things is part of what singleness looks like, right? Um, so singleness in and of itself isn't necessarily a problem to the world, but celibacy is, right? Marriage is declining whether you're in the church or not right, but it, it looks different, right, because according to the world, not according to scripture, but according to the world, it's fine to not be married, but it's not fine to be without a sexual or romantic partner, right, to be literally single as in not um, enjoying some sort of romantic or sexual relationship, right, and there's even, like, caricatures of this, right, this has been elevated beyond what is even serious, have y'all seen um, the Steve Carell movie, 40-year-old virgin, okay, so this whole movie is just a caricature of this, the whole premise is that celibacy past a certain age is, like, totally laughable, right, and when people find out, if y'all have seen that movie, do you remember what people do, they're, like, kind of appalled at it, right? Or they treat him like a child. Now it's Steve Carell, so, you know, <laughs> he's a great choice for this movie. But, or they treat him like he's a child, right? They kind of, um, they don't take him seriously as an adult, right? And they, so the assumption is that without sex, you can't experience what it means to be a truly human or true adult, right? And that's that, this kind of underlying current that's the assumption there, right? So according to that, that line of thinking, then our personhood or our adulthood or whatever that is, is tied to sex. Okay, and when we say it that way, that sounds totally ridiculous, right? But that is what's happening under the current of these assumptions, right? Um, and now, it's an important aspect of life, and we'll, we'll circle back to this in a second, but sexual intimacy is not required to live a fulfilling adult life, right? And the myth here that we have to constantly combat is that you are, you are not living a full and complete adult existence if this is not a part of your life in some way, okay? Um, sexual intimacy is not required for that, right? We now, part of this, we see examples in Scripture that people lived full, fulfilling lives who were single and celibate, right? And now, one of these ways that we mentioned, and we'll, we'll unpack this in a second, Jesus was single, right? We're going to 
I'm going to, I want to hear y'all's thoughts on this because that even might have been one of the things that as a single adult people have said, well, Jesus was single, so what's your problem, right? But that is not where we're stopping here. Um, Part of that is we know that marriage and sex are not essential to the human experience, right? They're good things, but they're not essential to the human experience. And obviously, like we said, in general, for population growth and so on and so forth, Marriage is how we do that. But when it comes to you as an individual, it's not necessary. doesn't mean it's not wanted, but it's not necessary. So how does that strike you when we say that, well, Jesus was single, that he lived a celibate life? Does that bring comfort or validation, or do you think, oh, yeah, well, that was Jesus, so that's different, right? How does that strike you when we say that? Or is that kind of an annoyance for you to hear that? I think it's pretty easy to argue that Jesus was a special case for two reasons as a, sort of, as a sort of practical reason life was not good for widows in the ancient world I think it would have been let's say deeply uncool <laughs> knowing he was going to die for Jesus to marry someone and then leave them widow uh, and then number two the theological reason Christ's bride is the church so he really couldn't marry we yes we will circle back to that because I think we need to make a bigger deal out of that Christ's bride is the church there. That's not just like, well, he was single because the church was his bride. That's a bigger deal that we're going to unpack in a second. But, yes. Do what? Aren't we as Christians married already? <laughs> sure. We're so, all married to Christ. We'll get there. We'll get there. Scott, hang on to that. Okay. We'll get there. Anybody else? How else does that strike you? When we say Jesus was single, he lived a single life, a celibate life, um, how does that strike you? How does that, it's, okay, it's, is it validating, is it not valid, okay, yeah, um, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else there? Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what um, what we're kind of getting at here, right? That so first of all, it's not like some unnatural state of being to be celibate, right? It may not be what we want, but it's not some unnatural, weird <laughs> Steve Carell in a movie way to live, right? Or that it's just simply too hard; it's too much to ask, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, there's a balancing, there's a major tipping of the scales that we need to do, right, as the modern church that, um, we'll, I, I know I'm going to say we'll get to that like a million times, but yeah, that's exactly right. We've totally let the scales just flunk this way. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I like that you're saying, um, when, especially when we look at the life of Jesus. Yes, he was single, and then there was, all, you know, his, right, yeah, yeah. So he also celebrated marriage in right. his miracles. He had married people that were his disciples, at least Peter. Yeah. Uh, he surrounded himself with women, with mm-hmm. married men, with single men, uh, with families. And so I think he, he both celebrates all aspects of being human. Right. Well, he denies himself certain pleasures, and he was acquainted with grief. He, he gave up lots of things right. in order to become human and to live a, a hard life. Mm-hmm. And so he himself takes on various forms of suffering while also celebrating the, the pleasures and the joys of marriage, yeah. the joys of singleness, and the joys of families. Uh, in all kinds of relationships. Yeah, and that's good, right? One of, circle. Yeah, one of the first things he does is goes to a wedding, right? Jesus loves me. Okay, and let's be clear. We're not, like, ragging on marriage. I love marriage. It's cool. I like my husband. He's awesome, right? This marriage is a good thing, and we can agree to that, right? That doesn't mean that singleness is a bad thing, right? And so that's exactly right. Jesus af- celebrates and affirms both of those things, the church has historically not followed suit, is the point here, right? The church has not been good at striking that balance the way that Jesus did. Um, and I like what you're saying, because we can say, well, this call to celibacy or this call to singleness or whatever that means, it's just too hard, right? But singleness is hard. Marriage is also hard. And there are things that when you're married that because you're married, things are easier, and there are things that, because you're single, certain things are easier, right? It's not that, and we would say, well, these things are hard, and that's what I'm experiencing, so singleness is harder, right? But no, that's not true, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure, right? And that's like what we were saying. Marriage (laughs) is a beautiful thing, but that is how we pollute marriage, right? When we say, well, you should just get married younger so that you can not fall into sexual sin, but we haven't actually formed the things that make a good marriage, right? Um, Yeah, absolutely. And that's what when we say there are things about being married that become much harder like, once you're married, there are certain things that are just harder, right? There are things that are harder because you're single, right? And that is just, the grass is always greener, right? And we can say that till the cows come home. But 
like we were saying, what is not true is that going from single to married is now some sort of cosmic upgrade in life, that you're slumming it as a single person, and then you've been upgraded to marriage. Now, if you want marriage and that's something that you desire, then yes, getting that thing in your life is going to feel good, right? It's going to, and that's the case with anything. Like if you want kids and then you have kids, then yes, you're going to feel like your life is closer to what you want. But God doesn't say, okay, now you can level up from single to marriage, right? That's not what it looks like. That is not, you're not slumming it on some lower tier of life as a single person, right? But marriage is a beautiful thing. And so, um, just like we said, in singleness, there would be times of happy and unhappy, but the same goes for marriage, right? But if somebody was called to marriage, mm-hmm. then for that person, it would be an upgrade because they yeah. would be achieving God's calling for them. Yeah. So, like, that doesn't mean that you're missing an upgrade if you're not called, if you're called to singleness. Yeah. Right. Then it, then it wouldn't be an upgrade, but... Well, I mean, upgrade's a weird word, but that was... Yeah, right. And that's what, yeah, walking into your calling, whatever that is, whether it's a job, whether it's... Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. And we're going to... I I didn't mean to suggest that being married would be anyone's entire calling. Obviously, that's ridiculous. But it'd be a part of... If, if, well, if, if, if that's part of God's calling for your life, then it would be moving closer yeah. to God's will. So it would yeah. be an improvement. To, to right. No, I get what you're saying. Um, but we can have callings to be married or single, or callings to have biological kids or not, or callings to do this job or that job. Those are all tangential to our ultimate calling of being caught up in Christ, right? And so what we're saying is, in that way, in being caught up in the person of Jesus, singleness is not on a lower tier of marriage, right? Um, well, it's parts of that, right? But yeah, they feed into like, one like, thing. These are just side quests. They're not side quests. No. Like every part of our life is integral to how we live for God. Yes, <laughs> but you can do that in equal fulfillment whether you're single or married, right? So that's what we're saying. Um, And so then there's, okay, there's one other thing that I want us to be sure to touch on, and then we'll see what else we have time for. But, um, and this is where you are full, I mean, you're always allowed to roll your eyes at me, but this is where um, it's especially warranted, right? Okay, because there's this idea that singleness, therefore, means no intimacy, okay? And we've talked about singleness means celibacy, and I feel like by the end, you're going to be like, well, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess I agree with you, but whatever. Like, lame. But we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little bit. And we're not just saying singleness means no, no sex. We're saying singleness means no intimacy. Okay? And this is where C.S. Lewis is coming into the conversation. Okay? Because we say we have largely conflated intimacy must equal sex. Right? Um. And those that are, and those things are one and the same, right? That you can't have or experience intimacy without sex, right? So therefore, somehow intimacy is only for a marriage relationship. Um, And it's hard for us to even conceive of intimacy without it becoming sexual, right? Because that's just the context that we hear that word in all the time. But I think that's a misunderstanding of intimacy, right? Because the choice between marriage and celibacy 
is not the same thing as a choice between intimacy and loneliness, right? Marriage versus celibacy is not the same thing as intimacy versus loneliness. And that is one thing that I think the church can actively move the sticks on. And I think this group is actively moving the sticks on when it comes to living that out, okay? Because we can live without sex, but we cannot live without intimacy. We talked about it is not good for man to be alone, right? And of course, he, okay, that's when he brings in Eve and we get the first marriage and all of that. But if marriage is not something that God calls you to, it is still not good for you to be alone, right? So marriage isn't the only sole answer to that call. Now, that is in Genesis, that's what we see happening. But so C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves, if y'all have read The Four Loves, it's really good. Says those who, he says, those who cannot conceive of friendship as substantive love, but only as a disguise or elaboration for eros or sexual love, betray the fact that they have never had a friend. <laughs> Lewis is harsh there, right? So I loved that because um, for several things, this directly applies to the way that I've seen certain scripture interpreted, right? So we see this with Jonathan and David a lot. Okay, so in 2 Samuel one twenty six, um, spoiler alert, uh, Jonathan passes away. Okay, he's killed. And David is, is grieving over him. And he says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. I know. And he says, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. Right? And so some have read this to mean that, okay, well, that's impossible. So surely Jonathan and David were in some sort of uh, sexual relationship, right? Because it would be totally insane for one man to say that about another man and for that not to be what's going on, right? And so that's what some people have read that as. But then they're exactly fulfilling what C.S. Lewis is saying there, right? That this depth of connection to Jonathan, it doesn't indicate a sexual relationship with him. It indicates intimate friendship, right? And possibly also lack of intimacy in his marriages, right? Um, his marriages might not have had the, the friendship intimacy that they were meant to have, but this relationship with Jonathan did have intimacy of friendship, right? And so friendship is this overlooked virtue in the church, right? We talk a lot about marriage. We talk very little about friendship. And we had, actually, Andrea, I'm glad you're here tonight. We had Andrea and Karen Ivey um, a while ago now, did a midweek back when we were in the pandemic days on uh, Zoom. Um, we had a conversation about friendship. And then just recently at the Galentine's women's event, um, y'all, <laughs> y'all are just my pair of friends, um, y'all shared about that, um, the importance of friendship, right? Um, and C.S. Lewis goes on to say, um, he says, friendship had become something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, but a diversion, something that simply fills up gaps in one's time, Few value it because few experience it, right? I know, and that's, that's harsh to hear, right? But then when we think about it, that's true, right? We have devalued friendship so much because, okay, there are films, that, there's a lot of movies that apply to what we're talking about tonight. So like Superbad or I Love You Man, right? There's these movies that show, and especially, um, I think this is especially hard when we're talking about two men that have a really strong friendship, but it's, especially I Love You Man, it shows this, these, 
pair of male friends trying to experience like emotional closeness to each other and love in friendship with one another without being mistaken for a couple, right? And they're going out of their way to be like, no, you know, because we can't even conceive that there can be intimacy in friendship in that way, right? So why do you think we undervalue friendship so badly? Why is that the state that we live in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. It's a lot easier to hook up with somebody than to invest in a long-term friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, friendship takes work. Yeah, did you have something else there? I think it's differently hard. Would that be fair? That marriage and friendship are both hard in very different ways. Would that maybe be fair? Yeah, you don't have a covenant with every friend that you have, right? But you do with a right. spouse. Sure, yeah. Yeah, you're not bound by something. Yeah. Yeah, if your friend's having a bad day, you can say, uh, let's try again next week, right? <laughs> yeah, Kathleen, did you have something?
What's the plan? Okay. Yeah. 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 And that's what, that's a good point. Yeah. No, you're good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's what, like you're saying, we can do friendship poorly, and we can do marriage poorly, and we can be married badly and single badly, right? We, all of those things can be done exceptionally poorly, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, single doesn't mean the same. Yeah. 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 Singleness is not a monolith, right? People, you may find yourself single for all different kinds of reasons or single again or right. Um, the, and I think that's important to point out, right? That it is not as clear cut as we make it out to be. Yeah. Um, the point being, and what C.S. Lewis is trying to say is that real intimacy can be found in friendship. Do most of us experience that? No, because friendship is hard, like Brian was saying, right? Um, intimacy is not exclusive to marriage. And you, it's easy to say, oh, well, yeah, that's trite. Yeah, we can have friends, but there's certain intimacy that's only found in marriage, right? And Andrew, this is sort of what you were saying. There is certain things, as far as intimacy, regardless of sex goes, that are only found in marriage because you're living that day-to-day life with that person, right? Um, but the thing that makes marriage good is friendship. Otherwise, you're um, coordinating logistics and having sex, right? And those are, <laughs> and some, for some people, that's their life, right? So the thing that makes marriage good is friendship, right? We boil this down to the same common denominator, whether you're single or married, it's friendship, right? But we act like marriage has nothing to do with friendship, that friendship is some lesser good than marriage, right? I really enjoy my marriage because Blaze and I are friends, right? And I have a depth of friendship with him that I've never experienced elsewhere, right? Um, and there are a lot of, what I've seen when I see unhappily married people is that they don't have friendship as a part of their marriage, right? And if, have y'all ever heard of the seven levels of intimacy that Matthew Kelly came out? This is like super old and that's super fuzzy, sorry. But so we stop at, we start at the top with cliche, Okay, so this is when you're in an elevator with someone and you say, boy, it's hot out today, right? Or, right? And you're just kind of getting through that social interaction, right? <laughs> the worst, I know. Okay, and then we move to facts, 
right? I guess it's hot outside today could be a fact, but right, we're, we move down this chain. Okay, we go from cliche to facts to opinions. Okay, now we're getting into where relationships could get dicey if we have different opinions on something, right? Okay, we move from opinions to hopes and dreams. As we're becoming more intimate with someone, we're going down this pyramid. From opinions to hopes and dreams. And then feelings, which is funny that that's after hopes and dreams to me, and that it's different from opinions, right? Okay, and now we're into fears, failures, and weaknesses. You have to, right, some of you are like, I don't want that with anybody, right? <laughs> yeah, right, so fears, failures, and weaknesses. And this isn't just like, I'm afraid of spiders, right? This is like, I'm afraid that, that what? Yeah, deep. Yeah, I'm afraid that I'm not enough, right? And needs, right? So if some of y'all know Faith Ann Bell. She and I were actually looking at this, and we were like, that is amazing. Because, okay, you'll notice, where on this pyramid is sex? Nowhere, right? The point being, regardless of what relationship you're talking about, <laughs> right? We could... Sure. Sure. So needs as in, needs as in you are asking for, right? And I could see like there is, especially in marriage, there is a need for sexual intimacy there, right? But we're saying, because this applies to any relationship. So needs being, yeah, I, I am, yeah. Or when I think of like, if I am sick and life is terrible and I look a mess and everything I need somebody to do something for me. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And, right, we, we can, have you ever had someone that you've only interacted with them in, like, cliches or quick small talk, right? And it's, you know, you're like, I, I know that guy's whole schedule, but we've only ever interacted at the top of this pyramid, right? And then you go down, and you're like, who knows my needs, you know, if you really think about that, how many people in your life would you say you've gotten to the bottom of the pyramid with? And that isn't to say, well, if you can't think of anyone, then that's bad. This, the point is that intimacy looks different than we might think. Some of us back here are wondering if we know our own needs. Say that again. <laughs> Some of us back here are wondering if we know our, our own needs. Yeah, right. <laughs> intimacy with yourself is like, I don't even know what I need, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. That's what we're creating. Hopefully, marriage is creating a space for a child to experience all of these things. Right. And we've all seen. Yeah. If you're not getting your needs met by your parents, then right. Things go downhill fast. Right. Because theoretically. Now, if you have complicated relationships with your parents as adults. Right. I know things get complicated with age, but hopefully our parents are able to meet our needs. Right. Because that's our most vulnerable thing. I need to eat. I need to 
be safe, right? Um, and so I loved this pyramid because it kind of unpacks or kind of takes away a lot of the assumptions that we have about intimacy, right? I don't know that this is the pyramid that I would make. Um, if I was saying, well, the depth of a relationship will look like this and it'll go in this direction. Um, and so that's just one, one of those things that we can take with us, right? That, and this is something else that I want y'all's opinion on. Okay, so we're looking at this pyramid about intimacy, right? And we're saying that intimacy is possible outside of marriage, right? Here's something that he threw out in this book that I was like, mm, I'm just going to throw it out and see what people think. D- the idea is that while marriage provides depth of intimacy, so you're going all the, hopefully, all the way down the pyramid and then some in marriage, right? That it provides depth of intimacy, that singleness can experience the bottom of the pyramid with somebody, but it also provides depth, or sorry, breadth of intimacy, okay? That married people have a much harder time maintaining intimacy in friendships outside of their marital relationship because it takes so much work to make a marriage work, right? That they can't spread that kind of love and intimacy to other people in their life as easily because their spouse takes importance, right? So the idea is that marriage creates a different depth of intimacy while singleness provides breadth of intimacy. How does that strike y'all? True. Yeah. 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 And that is something I'll say, as someone who's married, I lament that I don't experience friendship in the way that I would like to. Because, now, partly because I'm bad at keeping up with people or, or whatever, but there is a certain cap on how much you can give, right? And that has to go to your spouse, you know? And so how much of of how much is there left, right? And that's something that I grew up with a lot of strong friendships and I've, I constantly am trying, longing, yearning for depth of friendship, right? Friendship outside of just, I mean, I have wonderful friendship with Blaze, but in, in other relationships, right? That is something that I want so badly that I'm striving to be better at. But I know I've heard I've heard myself say this before I got married, and I've heard plenty of people say this. Well, as soon as people get married, they just they stop being your friend because they're too busy for you, right? And, okay, first of all, it depends. And there are people that I think, especially if they've been single for a prolonged period of time, they are better at not doing that, right? Um, but in some way, some of that is inevitable, right? There's going to be some change there, Um it's not as inevitable as we make it out to be, right? You can't have, you know, it's not that, oh, you can't have any intimate friendships outside of your marriage now, but you have to work really hard to make those things happen, right? And so, point being is that friendship or singleness in some way frees you into having a breadth of intimacy that is unique to being single, right? Um, okay, I'm trying to think of 
more things here. Um, one other myth that I want us to uncover, um, and then, yeah. church needs to kind of overstep that and have that connection between single and married people no matter what just have that connection togetherness yeah. right mm -hmm. but what to that statement that you said about marriage you know requires this extra time and extra investment in your marriage yeah uh, but i also wonder isn't it because also some sometimes married people or being single, we don't want to be transparent and honest with each right. other to build that intimacy right. even outside of there. Right, exactly. That's Some of that isn't because we're married. It's because we're struggling to be truly transparent with somebody else, right? And that's what, um, right, when, when, when we get past maybe like opinions, now things start to really require transparency, right? Because you might have hopes and dreams or feelings or feels and fears and failures, right, that, uh, well, now that, now that we're at that level, this is requiring more vulnerability, right? And that's a fear for people regardless of their relationship status. So, yeah, that's regardless of your status with somebody else. Transparency is something that we have to work on, right? And that's, that's good. Um, and that's what, so one more final myth, because I've been convicted of this even as a married person recently, and we'll unpack this in a second, but um, there's another myth that singleness means you can't have family, right? This, obviously, you come from a family. You have somebody birthed to you, right? Um, so there's this assumption that the nuclear family is the primary space in which we do life, Right? And so therefore, if you're single, then you're kind of out in the cold, right? Because we talk about Saturday afternoon is family time, and you're like, well, guess it's just me then, right? You know, there's this kind of assumption that the nuclear family, a mom and a dad and their kids, are where the primary stuff of life happens. And yes, that is literally true, right? But I would argue that the church came in and flipped that script, Right? The church is meant to be the space that we do life in. And yes, the nuclear family together goes to church. But now Jesus says, leave your father and mother and follow me. Right? The, the church is the primary means by which we should experience family. And so that should be good news to folks that are single because it does not matter what your marriage is, what your relationship status is, if you have kids or not or whatever. Jesus came in and said, no, no, no. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that means something, right? And so that also gives you a certain responsibility to that, right? That doesn't mean that because you're single, you're not called to raise children, okay? Because like we said, single people should be invested in the marriages and the families of the church and vice versa, right? Family should be invested in your health as a single person. Um, but that means the calling to raise up children of God, the calling to sow into the children or youth or, or young people in the community is not just for married couples, okay? And so, I, so full disclosure, me and Blaze have talked about, do we even want kids, right? We've, we've had that discussion of, is that something that we want to do? And 
We said, well, whether or not we have biological children, because we're Christians, we are called to parent in some way, or fill in the blank there. Parent might not be the right word, but raise children in some way. To mentor, right? To come alongside biological parents or, you know, whatever that looks like. And so therefore, that's a responsibility on y'all too, right? So this family thing, yes, okay, even though I'm a single person, that the church is my family. Well, that means you're a family member to somebody else, right? And so when we do like child dedications, we always do something when the congregation is given a charge, right? And the congregation says, yes, we do. We promise to raise this child with its parents and support them and all these things, right? That's serious, right? But we don't always think about it in that way because we're individualistic and we tend to, um, we don't have that communal culture, right? That's not the way of the West, right? So it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because yes, you have this family that super, like it goes over just biological family. It goes over just who you're related to. The church is more important than that. And should include, hopefully, every, everyone that you're related to. But you have a calling to the rest of the people in that family. Any response to that? Yeah. yeah. I think that also puts, it does put responsibility on us, but it also puts responsibility on the church. Exactly, yeah. Any other thoughts there? Because that's what, even as someone who's married, we can't just say, well, we're not going to have kids and we're just going to travel and, you know, none of y'all are uh, my responsibility anymore. None of these children in the community, you know, choosing not to have biological children does not excuse you from raising children or raising people in the community, whatever that looks like, right? Yeah, Scott. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. I know. It's it's real. <laughs> but that's right, and that's what our calling as Christians means, that that looks different, right? That we can't just be satisfied to say, you know, I'm going to live a life that's all about me. And we can do that whether we're married or single, right? Our life can be selfish whether or not we're in a committed relationship, right? Okay, I know it's already 8.35. So, like I said, we were not going to get through all of these things. But any final questions or thoughts or things that this has brought up for you? Um, I had so much more, but... Um, <laughs> I'll let you 
simmer with that one. Yeah. Yes. I will. <laughs> I know we failed with the microphone. That's okay. Yeah, I will have a transcript. <laughs> I'll work on it. But yes, it is recorded. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Agape can be found in a wide variety of relationship, right? Not just marriage. Yeah. Any other thoughts? One thing I do want to wrap up, I know we said um, Jesus' singleness, like he was single, but yes, he's the bride of, of the church, or the, the bridegroom to the bride that is the church, right? Um, but all of the point of marriage is that we, when I say we've elevated marriage beyond what it's meant to be, marriage is a great thing, like I've said. I enjoy it. However, we've elevated it from a means to an end, okay? It would be easy to say that you find fulfillment in marriage. No. Marriage is, the intent of marriage is to be a signpost that points us to the gospel, right? The intent of marriage is that we're seeing a physical, literal, right in front of you because it's really hard to keep the gospel in front of us all the time. Marriage is a literal example lived out of the marriage between Christ and his church, right? And so marriage is a beautiful thing that is meant to be a sign of the thing to come, right? It is meant to be a sign of Christ's love for the church. And eventually, on the other side of heaven, the fulfillment of those things, right? We know that we're still waiting on these things. When we say the kingdom of God is already, but it's not yet, we're still waiting on the return of the, the bridegroom, right? Um, and so saying, yes, Jesus' singleness, yes, well, he was the bridegroom to the church. But his singleness also speaks to that ultimate marriage that our interpersonal marriage is meant to speak to, right? So he wasn't just single because, well, he had this kind of greater, more meta version of marriage, you know, his singleness points to the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. And I would argue, and this is what the author of this book argues, that your singleness does the same thing. That, yes, you're not living in a state of marriage now, but remember, Scripture says there's not marriage in heaven, right? We kind of shed that way of living because the ultimate marriage has taken place by that point. The ultimate marriage between Christ and his church has taken place, so now we don't need this sign pointing to that because it's happened, right? We're living on the other side of this beautiful wedding between Christ and the church, so we don't need this signpost pointing to that anymore. And so singleness says, you know, we, we look back and we get a lot of our theology about marriage from Genesis. I would say that we should get a lot of our theology about singleness from Revelation, 
okay? It's easier to look back and say, well, you know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you know, and we get this beautiful, and it's wonderful, right, this beautiful theology of marriage. However, marriage is for, the marriage that we understand today is for now. It is not for eternity, right? And so singleness is saying that, you know, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel and it's meant to mimic and, and point us to what the gospel looks like, singleness says, and the gospel is sufficient, right? We don't find our fulfillment in anything else other than Christ, right? And so when we're, so there is a beautiful part of the gospel that singleness should point us to, right? Marriage is not the only signpost. Singleness is a signpost too, okay? And that can, that, that idea can then infiltrate the rest of the things that we think and believe about singleness, including sexuality, right? Including all these things that we don't have time to unpack. But if nothing else, hear that, right? That singleness points to the gospel, just like marriage does. And both should be affirmed and celebrated, okay? Any other final thoughts before we pray around tables? I know this was like, <laughs> we were kind of trekking through the snow on this one, okay? But, um, I hope this was encouraging and not confusing. Um, and I hope that you walk away knowing that, no, really, there is intimacy to be found, regardless of what station you find yourself in in life, okay? So I love y'all, and I'm sorry for any way that I stumbled or spoke poorly. But um, as we do, I want us to pray for each other around tables, and especially in this way, that we would find this kind of gospel meaning um, in our life and f- true fulfillment in Christ regardless of our relationship status, okay? So I want to pray for you. I know <laughs> I should probably do that every week. I just kind of send y'all to pray, but I'm going to pray for y'all, and then I want y'all to pray around tables, okay? Let's pray. Lord, the, the body of Christ means more than we think it does. Um, Lord, and I need the people in this room to draw closer to you every day because their relationship with you impacts me in a spiritual and mystical way that I can't even fully understand and vice versa. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, as we, as we think about singleness or, or marriage or relationship status or, or those things or things that we want but don't have or, or things that we regret. Lord, all of the things that we mull over when it comes to relationships. Lord, we know that you're with us in that. But Lord, we also ask that you would take us to, um, to a higher plane of thinking there. Lord, that we would be reminded that, um, that you have called us to live a full and fulfilling life in Christ, whether we're married or single, and that that is 100% possible. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that um, that we have we have thought wrongly about singleness and about marriage, but you correct those things, Lord. And you have the perfect um, the perfect view of every station of life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to catch on to that view. Lord, help us to walk away encouraged. Help us to walk away um, feeling closer to you, Lord, because of the way that you've created us to, to live in intimacy with you. So, Lord, we, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, so y'all go ahead and pray for each other around tables, and then we will get on out of here.